Thank you. It's a privilege for me to get to be with you today, and I appreciate so much, Rick, uh, preparing the way and inviting me to come. Uh, I'll do a few introductory things uh, as I share with you, but today uh, is a special day. Anytime God's people gather in the presence of a holy God, it's a sacred assembly. But there are times that uh, we come together for a special time where we have prepared ourselves. And I, I'm so encouraged to know that you've been preparing yourselves, even as we, I was meeting with the deacons and they were praying. I realized that they've taken this time seriously to prepare I have a good news for you. God gives us an invitation and a promise. Um, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, Return to me, that's the invitation, and I'll return to you. That's the promise. That's God's promise for us today, that if as we return ourselves to him and get right with him, he wants to return to us so that we can experience the fullest dimensions of God's power and presence working in our lives. Um, you may remember that in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, uh, the, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the wellspring of living water, and they have dug for themselves broken cisterns that won't hold water. And uh, it, it's ludicrous, isn't it, that here God's people have access to a, an artesian well of fresh, clear, clean, pure water, an abundant, unlimited supply in God. And they reject him, and instead they go dig a hole in the ground and plaster it and hope to capture rainwater in there and uh, let that satisfy their thirst. And their cistern is broken, and they're dry and thirsty, and they settle for that when they could have God and his living water. Well, uh, in Zechariah, there's a scripture passage that says this. Uh, in Zechariah 9, verse 11, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you. Now, let me pause there. Uh, Zechariah is an Old Testament book. What kind of blood did he know about? Well, it was animal blood, sacrifice to the Lord. But uh, you and I, we've got a better blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant. And God would say to us today, because of the blood of the covenant, I will set free or rescue your prisoners from their waterless cistern. Uh, it may be that you have found yourself dry and thirsty and realizing there's got to be more to this walk with Christ. Jesus said he came to give us an abundant life and you may be dry and thirsty and God says because of the blood of my covenant, I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm going to rescue those of you who are prisoners to your waterless cistern. And then he says in uh, verse 12, return to your fortress. Now that's not just a, a castle somewhere. That's return to him. If we'll return to him, he says, I will uh, make you prisoners of hope. 
And even now I announce to you that I'll restore twice as much to you. Uh, God's longing for us to come back to him. And uh, that's what we want to do today. Um, as we return to him, he longs, he's yearning to return to us. In, uh, I was reading this week in um, 2 Kings, and I came across this passage in the days of uh, when Joash was uh, anointed as king. It says in verse 17 of chapter 11, Jehoiada, the priest, made a covenant between the Lord and the king and his people that they should be the Lord's people. You all have been preparing yourselves for a time to renew your covenant commitments to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you, I want to read a passage of scripture, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we, uh, we begin this process of renewing our covenant commitments to the Lord. And keep in mind his promise, because of the blood of the covenant, he's going to rescue us from the places we've been as a substitute for him, and he wants us to be restored to our covenant with him, and he will be our people. We'll, we will be his people, and he will be our God. I want to share with you uh, just a reminder of some of the things God's done for us as we begin our time of sacred assembly. In Ephesians chapter 1, listen to the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, Almighty God, we come before you today and I thank you for the privilege of being together with my brothers and sisters here at Eastwood Baptist Church. 
And Lord, uh, I thank you for the ways they have been preparing themselves for a time to meet with you in sacred assembly. Lord, today we want to thank you for all that you have done for us. Uh, thank you for reminding us for all that you've done. And Lord, I thank you that because of the blood of the new covenant that Jesus shed on the cross, you won't leave us in uh, dry and thirsty places, but you, you long to restore us to yourself and to uh, make us captive to hope and a people through which you can work. Lord, today we want to return to you. And my prayer is, Lord, you'll be a promise-keeping God and you'll return to your people in new dimensions in the days to come. Uh, so guide us during this time, Lord, as we renew our covenant commitments to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you four aspects of ways we can renew our covenant commitments to the Lord. And I want to begin with, uh, with the first one. We need to go after entire consecration. Entire consecration or sanctification. Uh, the word consecrate, as you've read this week, if you've done your study... Uh, there are two terms in the Old Testament for consecrate. One of those is a term that's frequently translated sanctify. Uh, the word sanctify means to set apart for God's purposes, to cleanse, to purify, to make holy, to put away the profane and the unholy. And so one of the aspects of our uh, uh, returning to the Lord and renewing our covenant needs to be this matter of uh, entire sanctification. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, we read these words, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. That's the whole aspect of sanctification. We need to go after entire sanctification. We need to be holy as he is holy. My dad grew up on a farm in Trousdale County in Middle Tennessee, and he said, uh, as a teenager, his dad loaned him one day to a farmer to help him plow. And he said, as they were, uh, as he was plowing out there, he said it was a hot, humid day on the Cumberland River. He was working down in the river bottom, and he said the sun was beaming, the breeze wasn't blowing, and I was sweating up a storm working behind the team of mules. And he said, I got thirsty. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I... Um, stopped my mule team, and I went over to the farmer to ask for permission to get a drink of water. And the farmer stopped his mule team, and he spit out his tobacco juice, and the brown tobacco juice began drooling down his chin. And he said, yeah, Archie, there's a water jug over there un under the shade tree. Go get you a drink. So my dad said he went over to the shade tree, picked up the water jug, and he said something was growing on the inside of the jug. And it looked nasty. And he said, I looked at that jug, and I thought about that farmer with the tobacco juice drooling down his chin. And he said, 
I decided I wasn't that thirsty, <laughs> and I went back to plowing. Now, my dad was a pastor, and I've heard him tell that story and then turn to the congregation and ask the question, so what's the condition of your water jug? You see, when God saved us, he placed the living water of Jesus Christ in us. And God's plan is that we would be so transformed into the likeness of Christ that we would be holy as he is holy, that we would be pure and clean, so much so that when people meet me and you, all they see is Jesus in us, crystal clear. But I'm afraid that what's happened in American Christianity is that we have allowed the pollutions of the world around us and our culture and our society. We've yielded to our cravings of our sinful flesh. And as a result, people are looking at our lives and they're coming to the conclusion, eh, I'm not that thirsty. I don't want what you got. We need to be a people who are holy unto the Lord. But it's a choice you make. You have to choose to put away the unholy, the profane, and choose to be holy as he is holy. One of the activities I encouraged you to do this week is to consecrate your home. One of the times, I, first time I did that, I was in a church and we were doing a t focus on revival and spiritual awakening and and um, I'd never done this before. I've never asked the church to publicly do this since. Uh, but I, I spoke one of the messages and I challenged them before tomorrow night. Uh, uh, no, it was a Sunday morning service and we were having an evening service. I said, this afternoon, I want to give you this assignment. Go home, meet with your family. I gave you the instructions. Uh, go through your house and... Uh, Take a trash bag with you, and when you come across anything that doesn't belong in the house of a Christian, things that are unholy, impure, throw it in the trash bag, and I said, bring it to the altar tonight. I had no idea how this was going to work. That evening, the altar was covered with a mound of trash. I remember seeing one garbage bag, and it just had a, a it, it was evident, it's got a videotape in there. But there were other garbage bags stuffed full of garbage. I told the people, I promised them, I'm not going to go through the garbage and find out what's there. We're going to dispose of it, but I want us to get clean. If we're serious about revival, we need to get our lives clean before the Lord, and and it's so easy for us to accumulate the things that seem appropriate in the world around us, but for the Christian, we realize that we need to be a holy, pure, clean people. It's a choice you make. Uh, in John chapter 17, Jesus uh, shares something with us that I think is important. This was his high priestly prayer just before he went to the cross. And Jesus, uh, beginning verse 15, he said, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's praying for his disciples. But that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And then he prayed this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So he's praying for us that we would be sanctified. And then he says this, 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Here was the perfect, sinless Son of God who's about to lay down his life on a cross the next day. And he's praying that you and I would be sanctified, that we would be holy, that we would be pure, that we would be set apart for God's purposes. And then he said, I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified. Jesus set us an example of what it means to be sanctified. And we need to follow his example and choose sanctification. It is a choice that you make. Many, many years ago, I um, started traveling a lot for the Baptist Sunday School Board in those days. And I remember um, staying in hotels at night, and I found out something about hotels. They allow stuff on their television I don't allow on my TV. And I'd come in after a long day of conferences and plop down and turn on TV and start flipping channels. And there were times I would come across a place I didn't belong. There were times I resisted that temptation, but there were other times I didn't, sadly. I yielded to that. And I spent time places I didn't belong. And then I'd have to repent of my sin and ask God to forgive me and cleanse me of all this stuff I've allowed into my mind. And... And I struggled with that, and there were times I'd be successful in resisting temptation. Other times I, I wouldn't, and I realized God wouldn't tolerate that in my life. And I began to pray because I knew the scripture that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but he will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that you can endure it. And I began to pray and say, Lord, I need an escape plan here. I know you're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior in my life. And I began to pray. And as I was praying, the Lord re revealed to me, Claude, the temptation is when you turn on the TV and you see something that appeals to your fleshly nature. But if you don't turn on the TV, you won't be tempted. So I started praying about that. And I came to the conclusion that I needed to make a vow to the Lord and I made a vow to the Lord, whenever I'm in a hotel room by myself, I will not turn on the television. That was 24 years ago or more, and I've never turned on a TV, and I'm in a hotel room a lot. But it's a choice you make. You choose to put away the profane and the unholy, and you choose purity and holiness, and you Fix your eyes on those things that are pure and holy and admirable and beautiful and you do not fix your attention on the things that are not. We need to go after entire sanctification. Begin to think about this and I'm going to do this uh, service a little bit differently than normally I would do a message. Instead of going through all of my points and giving an invitation, I'm going to give four invitations today and I want to begin with this one. I want to ask you to join me in prayer, and I want to ask you to privately talk to the Lord. Would you pledge yourself, privately pledge yourself to the Lord?
this, there's a wonderful promise, Philippians 2.13, that says, It is God who is working in you, causing you to want to do his will, and then enabling you to do it. And what I want you to do is pledge yourselves to, be, to sanctify yourself, to be holy as he is holy, to put away the profane and the unholy, so that when others see your life, they'll see Jesus in you crystal clear without any human pollution or corruption. So take a moment to pray to him. Lord Jesus, you, uh, you sanctified yourself so that we might be sanctified. That's your desire. It's your plan that we would look like you. We would uh, act like you. We would talk like you. That our lives would be uh, clean and pure and holy before you. Lord, the truth is our human nature, we can't do that by ourselves, but uh, we want to so sufficiently die to ourself that all that lives in us is Jesus and that you'd be able to reveal the crystal clear living water of, of God through our lives. So would you enable us, Lord, today to choose to be holy as you are holy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second thing that I want us to do as we uh, renew our covenant commitments to the Lord, I want us to look at the, the great, uh, greatest commandment. You're familiar with this, but I want us to go after wholehearted love. Wholehearted love. In um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, Jesus had been asked by one of the teachers, what, um, which is the greatest commandment? And in verse 29, Jesus said this, the most important one, answer Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Uh, Jesus' first and greatest commandment is that we need to love him with how much of our heart? All your heart. And we need to renew our covenant to go after God with a wholehearted love. A wholehearted love. Um, we need to love him with all of our heart. And a part of the reason we need to do that is because um, he deserves it. He's worthy of our love. The scripture tells us we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Uh, a part of what we need to do is we seek to return to a wholehearted love for the Lord. I think one of the things we can do is get our eyes on the cross, fix our attention on what Jesus did for us. It, 
if we're not careful, even when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we can go through the motions of remembering the cross and treat his sacrifice casually. But the reality is Jesus suffered, he was ridiculed, he was beaten, he was spat on, he was made fun of, had crown of thorns on his head, they put nails in his hands and his feet, they'd whipped him until he was nearly dead, they hung him on a cross, and he suffered, and he bled, and he died because of my sin. And if somehow we can grasp the reality of how much he did for me, it ought to prompt us to love him. And so let's go after a wholehearted love for him. That'll be reflected in the way we love one another as well. Uh, we're to love each other as he's loved us. Um, Jesus gave his uh, disciples in John 13 uh, a new commandment. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Um, we need to love each other. Had the privilege of going to Sierra Leone. Uh, it's a country in West Africa, one of the poorest in the world. They had been through a severe civil war. And a um, friend of mine had uh, done some training there in 2005 with a former International Mission Board missionary named David Watson, and they did a training to train pastors and leaders about how to make disciples. And uh, in six years in Sierra Leone, that church, they had 12 churches they had planted over the last, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. It's a long time. They'd planted 12 churches. God got a hold of them, and in six years, they had planted 3,000 churches in Sierra Leone a country that's 80% Muslim. And we went to interview. <clears throat> I'm guessing you didn't hear that on CNN or <laughs> even Fox News, did you? God is changing nations in Africa and bringing many Muslims to faith in Christ. Today, I got a report last week that now it's 12,000 churches in Sierra Leone, but we were interviewing church planters and uh, talking to pastors, and I talked to one of the key leaders in this movement, Shadonke Johnson, and uh, Shadonke said, Claude, a group of us leaders were meeting for prayer one day, and a Muslim delegation came and stood right outside the door. I've been in that prayer house. There's not a door there. It's just an opening and uh, with a curtain over it, and they see this Muslim delegation out there, so they kept praying. He said, the they kept standing outside, we kept praying. They kept standing outside, we finally quit praying. We went outside and they said, don't be afraid, we're not here to hurt you. We're here to ask you for a, uh, for a favor. We've been watching what you've been doing at that village near our village and we like what we see over there. The way those people love each other and the way the men treat their wives with respect and compassion, the way the parents nurture their children and we want that for our village, and we were wondering, would you please send your storytellers to our village to tell us what you told them? We know who the storytellers are. They're disciple makers. They're church planters. And Shadanke said, Claude, that was the first time it happened. He said, I quit counting after 35. 
He said, I'm guessing 70 or more villages have sent a similar delegation, usually headed by the imam of the mosque, with the request, would you please send your storytellers because we want what those people have. Well, what, what's going on in, in Sierra Leone is that people are getting saved. And they are falling in love with Jesus. And they love him so much that it's getting reflected in the way they love each other. And uh, you remember Jesus, after he gave this new commandment, he said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples by what? The way you love one another. We need to go after a wholehearted love for the Lord because he deserves it. He has loved us and we ought to love him back. But when we get that love relationship with him right, it starts getting reflected in the way we love one another. And, and if we will renew our first love for Jesus, then God can work through us and show the world what love looks like. And we need to be that kind of people. I want to ask you again to bow your heads, and I want to ask you to pray that the Lord would reveal to you so clearly what he has done for you, that he would make it so real to you that you just can't help but love him back. And here's a wonderful promise in, in Jeremiah 24. God says, I'm going to give you a heart to know me. Uh, God can give us a heart transplant. He can take out a hard heart and give us a tender heart of flesh so that we can love him with all our heart and that love can be reflected through us to others. So pray right now and, and pledge yourself to return to a wholehearted love for the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, you did so love us that uh, you laid down your life on the cross. Father, you sent your only son to do that because you loved us and because you've demonstrated your love for us. Lord, don't let us forget. Don't let us take that casually. Help us to remember clearly and vividly what Jesus has done for us and and because of the blood of the covenant, help us come running back to you as our fortress. Help us to love you with all our heart. And Lord, if we've got calloused, insensitive hearts towards you, Lord, would you give us a heart transplant? Give us a tender heart of flesh. You made the promise in Jeremiah that you would give us a heart to know you so that we could return to you. And so I pray, Lord, Give us that kind of heart for you. And I pray, Lord, that as our heart beats in sync with your heart, that we will love one another. And Lord, uh, because of that love, would you also give us a love for a lost world the way you love that lost world, that our love for you will be reflected in the way we love others. Make us that kind of loving people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to go after entire sanctification. We need to go after a wholehearted love. The next one's going to be a challenge. We need to go after complete obedience.
Notice it's not partial obedience, complete, perfect obedience. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in, uh, John, in Matthew chapter 7 said these words, listen carefully, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you worker, you evildoers. Then he gives them a parable. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Uh, Jesus shares with his, uh, with his disciples there that there are people who think because they have done good things for the Lord that they're going to get to heaven. But Jesus said, your obedience to the will of God is going to reveal whether there's a right relationship there. We don't earn our salvation by our good works, but if we've been saved, we're going to demonstrate that our life has been changed by him, by our obedience. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like things are getting tough in, here, in our country. The, the divisions and the conflicts and the, the mass shootings and the, the racism and the economy that seems to be going up and down and the threats from other nations. We're at a place in our nation where even our democratic process is being threatened by outside sources. And uh, things are being shaken in America. And it very likely is going to get worse. Are you ready? Did you notice here, Jesus said, those who hear my words and obey them, they're like the ones who built their house on a rock. And the storms are going to come. Whether you've built your house on a rock or sand, the storms are coming. The choice is yours. Do you want your house to stand firm during those storms or do you want to collapse to happen in your place and uh, it's all dependent on the way we obey the Lord those who hear his words and obey them they're the ones who have a solid foundation and though the storms come God's going to sustain us and protect us and we will have a firm foundation in him but those who do not obey the commands of the Lord. Their life's going to be like one built on the sand. Have you ever seen those pictures on the, the news where floods have come and you've got a house that's on the side of a river or maybe it's on the side of the coast and, uh, and because the, 
uh, underground is being washed away, that house just collapses and the whole house falls into the water. We don't want to be a house like that, do we? So let's go after complete obedience. Now there's a reason, though, that we can obey the Lord, that we choose to obey the Lord. In John uh, chapter 14, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command you. You notice here that uh, if you've got the wholehearted love part right, this one's not complicated. If you love him, you want to obey him. And, uh, and so it's a good choice. It's a choice you make, but you choose to obey him because you love him. You want to keep his commands, and you realize his commands are for my good. They're not just to try to limit me. He wants me to experience an abundant life, and that abundant life is available when I obey his commands and experience life the way he created me to experience it. Verse 21, Jesus said, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, loves. Uh, he is the one who loves me. And he will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show myself to him. He said, if you love me and you obey me, my Father and I, we're going to take up residence in your life, and we're going to reveal ourselves to you. You want to experience God's presence and reality in your life? He wants to do that for us. Uh, we need to obey him. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Uh, so we need to go after complete obedience. Uh, but it's a choice that you make. You're never going to feel like obeying. Uh, you choose to obey you choose to say no to temptation. You choose to say yes to the assignments that God entrusts to you. And you go after obedience. Now, one of the challenges, though, is that if we're going to obey him, we need to know what he's got to say. And so we need to spend time in his word listening to what he has to say to us so that um, we can obey what he says. You, you know, don't you, that uh, you can break a law and the police come and arrest you and you say, I didn't know that was illegal. Does that matter? Not at all. <laughs> you, you still get arrested. Well, uh, God's given us instructions to help guide us in knowing how to live. And as we spend time in his word, that's a part of our obedience. We learn what he wants so that we can please him and obey him. And when we do that, we can experience the abundant life that God has given to us. I quoted it to you earlier, but I want to quote it again. Philippians 2.13, it is God who's working in you, causing you to want to obey him. Then he enables you to obey the wonderful news is that uh, God can enable you to go after complete obedience and you can get there. Doesn't mean that you can uh, rest once you get there. It's a daily assignment, but every day you choose. I'm going after obedience because I love my Lord. Let's, let's pray once again. And I want to ask you to, uh, to make a conscious decision. Lord, I want you to cause me to want to do your will. And then, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I choose obedience because of my love for you.
Heavenly Father, we do love you. Lord Jesus, we love you because of what you've done for us, and we choose to obey you because we do love you. Would you enable us to live lives of obedience to you? Help us to know your will. Give us a heart to obey your will. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The final uh, thing we need to go after entire sanctification, wholehearted love, complete obedience, but we also need to go after full surrender, full surrender. In uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus um, Jesus said this. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, this is Luke 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose his own self? We need to go after a complete surrender of ourselves where we die to self and we follow Christ. We choose to obey him. Um, I, as I shared with you briefly in Consecrate the People, there are two terms for consecrate in the Old Testament. One is the term sanctify, and we've already talked about that one. The other term is made up of two Hebrew words. One of the words means an open hand. It's not a closed hand, but an open hand. And the other word means to fill up. And literally the word means to fill up the open hands. Well, my first thought was, what in the world's that got to do with consecration? Well, here's the imagery. A priest is standing beside the altar, uh, waiting for you to bring an offering or sacrifice to consecrate it to God, to give it to God, and he's standing there with open hands. And you select one that's without spot or blemish, knowing that's the only kind that would be acceptable to a holy God, and you bring it to the temple. As long as it's in your hands, it's yours. But when you fill up the open hands, when you place it into the hands of the priest, it is consecrated to God, and it belongs to God. All of it belongs to God, and it becomes holy because God is holy. Well, when I understood the meaning of that term, as I began to read the accounts of where it was used in the Scripture, it's interesting. It's never used about animals or grain offerings or drink offerings. It is only used for people who are consecrated to the Lord. And, and so that's the term when God said to Moses, consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. That's the term that's used. When he says, consecrate the Levites to me for the work of the temple, that's the term that's used. Well, that got me to thinking about Romans 12.1. In Romans uh, 12.1, um, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And by the way, this is a spiritual act of worship. Uh, we are to present our bodies. Now, Paul didn't say there, he didn't use the term consecrate, but the meaning is exactly that, that we are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Later, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. Uh, 
we belong to another, and his Holy Spirit dwells in us. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes and said, Because he suffered and died for you, we are no longer to serve ourselves, but we're to serve the one who died for us. Well, when I got to thinking about all of those uh, things, I was reminded, uh, I read a book in a book by Andrew Murray about a medieval ceremony, and so I wanted to take a look at it. I did a study of the homage ceremony, and I think I've got a picture up there. Uh, in the homage ceremony, it began to happen in the 9th century A.D., primarily in Europe, but uh, the king would bring his vassals, his subjects, his serfs before him to pledge their loyalty and obedience to the king. And the king would sit on his throne and he would hold out his open hands. You can understand why I got to thinking like that about this ceremony. And the subject would come and get on both knees and place his palms together and place his hands inside the hands of his king. And he would say these words, I'm your man. It was a simple pledge. Uh, that's where the name homage ceremony comes from, the Latin word for man. Uh, but that pledge meant a lot. It meant, I belong to you. Whatever you ask of me, I will obey you. That pledge included, if I have to go to battle for you, I will fight for you. And it included, if I have to die for you, I'm your man. Call on me. Now, Christians who had to participate in this homage ceremony, they got to thinking, wait a minute. We've got a king in heaven who deserves our loyalty and obedience far more than this earthly king does. And so they began a new posture for prayer. Do you recognize that posture? Getting on both knees, palms together, head bowed. I used to think that was a biblical posture because I've seen paintings of Jesus praying like that. But um, they typically prayed with hands lifted and eyes to heaven. Uh, though we do read that uh, Daniel, for instance, knelt three times a day to pray, but more than likely that was face on the ground, kneeling the way you see common all over the Middle Eastern world today. But uh, this posture of prayer, getting on both knees, palms together, head bowed, began in the uh, homage ceremony of the 9th century A.D. It began to show up in church practice in the 12th century A.D., and what Christians would do is they would daily get on their knees and place their palms together and bow their head and realize I'm entering the very throne room of heaven where King Jesus is seated on the throne. And he's holding out nail-scarred hands to me saying, Claude, today I want your life, but not part of it, all of it. And they would pray. I'm guessing something like this. King Jesus, today, I'm your man. I'm your woman. My time is yours. My finances, my possessions are all yours. My future is yours. My plans, my ambitions, my dreams, they're yours. My family is yours. My health is yours. My reputation is yours. My very life belongs to you. Command me. I will obey. Would that make a difference in your prayer life? What would happen if every member at Eastwood Baptist Church began every day? Lord, I belong to you, all of me, everything I have, and whatever you want from me, I will obey. 
There's no telling what God could do in this place. And through you to impact this whole region and the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you take just a moment? and uh, I would love to invite everybody to the altar to do this, but uh, that would be really uh, complicated. So I'm going to ask you to just uh, where you are, would you bow your head and put your palms together and maybe even lean over the pew in front of you or however would be comfortable for you. But I want you to take just a moment. Would you... Uh, would you tell the Lord, because he's purchased you for himself, would you tell him that you understand you're his man, you're his woman? And would you pledge to him your desire to be fully surrendered to him? Now, would you stand with me? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. There, I've been given invitations the whole time, but there may be a public decision you need to make, and your pastors will be here to receive you. But um, let me pray. Heavenly Father, today, we've uh, gathered together in your holy presence to renew our covenant commitments to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Lord, this church wants to be the people you've called them to be. They've been preparing. I pray, Lord, that today you will see their hearts receive their uh, surrender to you. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would indeed be their God.